Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Mullaney with Senior Housing News. Michael Grust founded Senior Resource Group in 1988, and he learned the operational ropes by serving as the executive director of the company's very first community. Today, Solana Beach, California-based SRG Senior Living's portfolio spans 32 communities across seven states. Although SRG is now a well-established company, senior living providers are still inventing a business, Grust believes. As the boomers approach, senior living communities must be all things to a lot of people, he says. Specifically, they must provide an appealing blend of lifestyle enhancement and healthcare services. Achieving this requires innovation and entrepreneurship at a time when operators face a mosh pit of challenges. But despite ongoing margin compression, Rust is bullish on the future of the industry. Before we hear my interview with Michael Rust, we'd like to thank our podcast sponsor today, Point Click Care. Are you looking to streamline your workflows for service delivery and documentation? Visit www.pointclickcare.com to see how Point Click Care's new mobile app, Companion, can provide you with simplified services and medication delivery in the palm of your hand. And now my interview with Michael Grust, President and CEO of SRG Senior Living. All right, Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. I really wanted to chat with you for the podcast because I thought we had an interesting conversation recently in which you said that senior living operators are really facing a mosh pit of challenges right now. And I thought that was a really vivid metaphor and paints a kind of a dire picture of, of what's going on right now. So I'm curious to start if you can just maybe describe what you meant by that and, and what you're seeing and experiencing out there in terms of um, the operating climate. Well, you know, needless to say, you know, the the industry is going through a an interesting influx of conditions, if you will. You know, the, there's been a, a surge in building. You know, we have full employment, essentially. We need uh, to find folks to, to work in our communities. You know, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's one of those environments where, you know, it's a challenging in, a situation to be able to deliver what we're promising our customers. And that's, you know, everything from independent through assisted living and delivering on a promise from a service healthcare perspective. And, um, you know, needless the kind of environment where uh, I don't think we, I think we saw it coming, but I, I think dealing with it and addressing it is uh, is a never-ending battle. So, you know, the mm-hmm. confluence of events is certainly that's didn't mean to be that, but certainly a mosh pit. It's, th- it's certainly an environment where you're you really have to to have both hands on the wheel. And you've been in the industry for quite a while. I think you started uh, SRG in 1988, I think. So you've, you've seen a lot of different uh, cycles and conditions. Wondering if you can maybe compare the current moment to other ones. You know, David Schles at Asha said he thinks maybe it's the most challenging operating environment ever. But you've gone through the Great Recession. You've gone through other big periods of, of challenge and change. So how do you kind of contextualize where we're at today? Well, as I've often said, we're inventing a business and, you know, to identify this as a cycle or a, a repeat cycle is, is the case. I believe that, you know, we're evolving as an industry. We're inventing this business and, you know, as, you know, post recession, we were dealing with certainly the, the economic concerns and constraints where people just 
didn't feel they could leave their home or they could sell their home to move into our environments. And um, it was more of generating revenue, if you will, uh, filling up buildings that were underwritten in a specific way to fill up over a certain period of time. And um, ultimately, you know, there was a lot of buildings that were struggling for that reason and that reason alone. It wasn't necessarily what we're facing right now. What we're facing right now is, you know, a, a surge in, in, in development. There's an inequality between supply and demand right now. You know, everybody is hopeful that the, the baby boomers are right around the corner when they're really not just here yet. And uh, the labor environment, I mean, you know, this is a complex business. It's healthcare, hospitality, and real estate. And we live with our customer 24 hours a day. And, um, you know, we're obligated to, you know, deliver on a promise a variety of experiences and care and you know for our industry to deliver on that you need people and um, certainly you know it's a tough environment right now when you are struggling it's, it has is it's, it's very little to do interestingly enough there's been a huge minimum wage spike we've always paid well above minimum wage but it's creating a culture that we can compel people to come work in is the biggest sort of non never ending path we're on right now because, you know, it, it is an environment where, you know, you have four or five communities all vying for employees. And, uh, you know, what what is going to be the linchpin to get somebody to select you? They, the employees have a lot of leverage. And, uh, you know, we we recognize that. And so when, when David suggests that it is, it is a tough environment, and then you have, you know, the oversupply where, you know, you are trying to fill up buildings based on, uh, certain underwrite commitments, if you will, and, you know, that creates a challenging situation all into itself. So certainly is, the, like I said, a confluence of events that has made this a, a very challenging but still invigorating environment because it's still an industry that I think has got great opportunities going forward. On the supply question, I'm wondering if you see any relief coming, um, maybe specifically on the assisted living side. We saw Nick data indicate right. construction slowdowns, occupancy start to tick up. Uh, we're talking just the, the day after Brookdale's most recent earnings call. They seem to indicate they think that AL has hit an, an inflection point or a bottom. What do you think generally and, and maybe specifically for SRG and your markets, because I think it is obviously market to market, there are going to be different conditions. What are you looking at? It is market to market situation. You know, we, we're in we're in California and, and you know, certainly there is uh I still think a lot of headwinds in our particular market. We're in um northern and southern California, we're in Arizona. I would say Arizona has in my in our opinion has I, I think the bottom is behind us. We actually started out the the first quarter very, very well, very strongly, and all of our assets in in Arizona were very encouraged there. But I, to your point, it's a market to market situation, and I know Nick has suggested that you know there may be bottom, but I think that is you know perhaps uh, has to be identified in each particular market. With it's different, it's just different in each yeah. particular market. And then on the on the labor front, no easy answers. Obviously, um, maybe you know there's some chatter about a recession. Maybe that would um, cool things off. But other than that, what do you think operators need to be doing, given that to some extent wage levels and uh, just the supply of workers is a little bit out of their control? Yeah, it, you know, 
our belief is that we, you know, is, 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 I've said again and again and again, we need to be a compelling place to live and we need to be a compelling place to work. And, uh, we're spending as much energy reaching out, recruiting and creating an environment where people feel connected, engaged, part of something bigger, if you will, on the labor side. You know, culture to me is, is, is often talked about. But I think we've recognized and we're working to to truly deliver a a culture that is organic in its evolution, if you will. And so recognizing that people, you know, a sense of self is as important in terms of what our customers are seeking. You know, when we talk about wellness on that side, you know, our wellness program on the employee side is equally as committed to creating the engagement and the connection and the collaboration. And, you know, we have mechanisms that connect all of our communities and all of our communities uh, on a daily basis. And people are communicating, they're building relationships in an interesting way. We feel part of something. And again, it's been kind of a, it's been, it's been a lot of fun for us to, to watch. And we're, we're, you know, we're, I think in one of your early articles, you talked about our Zest program, which is something that I consider as much as a recruiting and retaining vehicle for our employees as it is for our residents. So it's uh, truly what I think is going to be all you can possibly do. Obviously, if, you know, you have, you know, there are some real regulatory challenges when, you know, you are uh, certainly, I know that there's a lot of assisted living, pure assisted living operators right now that are struggling with finding enough people because, you know, if you're, if you're promising care and you, you know, there's actually some, some, some lawsuits out there where people are let, being, are facing, you know, legal challenges that suggest that you're charging for care, but you aren't really, you don't have the staffing ratio to deliver the care, if you will. And, uh, that's, that's something that uh, we need to be mindful of because, uh, you know, this isn't, you know, this is a people business and staffing ratios are truly uh, meaningful in terms of how you can deliver what you're promising to your customer on the care side is, uh, you know, driven by your ability to actually deliver what you're promising. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, though, you know, that's a real area of, of, of vulnerability in, for, for the industry. If, you know, it's one thing to say that, uh, it's a little slow in the dining room, if you will, and maybe the service could be better there, but if, because you're, 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 you're compromised from a staffing, but it's a lot different when you're, you're, you're committed to delivering care. You have to be able to deliver that. It's, it's truly, it's real. Yeah. And I guess I'm wondering about expectations because it seems like part of the tension that we're starting to see a little bit is that uh, even though labor markets are kind of historically tight right now, I think there is some question about is to what extent is this a new normal in terms of the elevated level of competition, in terms of wage levels just being higher, and as the industry evolves, it's becoming more operationally complex and expensive. And maybe some people are looking at historical returns, say, that senior housing has provided um, and margins that operators have been able to deliver. And maybe there's some chatter that that's going forward, those expectations have to be tempered, that a 40% margin in senior living just isn't, isn't going to come back. And maybe even uh, occupancy averages across industry are going to be lower than they have been in the past. Do you think there's merit to those arguments? I wouldn't accept that as a uh, a new baseline, if you will. Or I, I no, I you know clearly margin 
compression is something we're facing right now because as uh, we all know that uh, you know you when there's an oversupply and you know and and, and rate growth is has been challenged because new supply comes on you know you can't uh, you know you find yourself where <laughs> unfortunately in certain markets people are building new products and obviously you know, I, I scratch my head sometimes because they come on and build a. You know, I, I know the cost of construction being what it is that it's surging in some markets that, that it's still incredible rates. I, you know, I heard, I read a statistic the other day that the cost of construction's going up one percent a month almost in in Texas because we, we just opened a building in Texas and to a certain extent we experienced that on the tail end. But you know, I you know I I still think we need to you know create some efficiencies because that is an it, you know you you need to generate certain returns because, you know, not just because of your, your capital structure. I mean, at the end of the day, the value of our assets and the consistency of our delivering on a promise from a financial perspective is going to be born on our operational efficiency. And so I do believe that it's it's not a given that, uh, you know, we're going to be able to, you know, continue to grow revenue at, at, this, at the rate, that, but we, we have to continue to strive to do it. And, you know, we are, as, as a company, you know, melding in, you know, technology for efficiency standpoint, uh, it's helpful, you know, and, you know, data is, the data that we're gathering now is more complex and, 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 and powerful in terms of helping to make managerial decisions and staying on top of things relative to that. You know, so, no, I, I, I'm hopeful that Clearly, with the supply and demand sort of stabilizing, and truly a, a market that we still believe, you know, with the growth of the over 80, 85 population is is going to grow exponentially. You know, that's our target audience, and the reality is that people never live so long, and and clearly there's going to be a lot of housing opportunities. And from an operating standpoint, as operators continue to to get better at what they do, and if they're committed to being a, a, a great operator, and again, that that's an important element. I mean, the complexity of the operating side of this business requires a never-ending commitment to get better at what you do. And, um, you know, that means, you know, not just how you manage things relative to the financial side, but how you train, how you retain, how you deliver efficiently, you know, the, the to services that we're offering, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I margin development, you know, obviously when when uh, rents and revenue start to, to sort of allow us to grow our, our rates and there's some stabilization to the income, the revenue side and the supply side, so to speak, um, I think um, I'm optimistic. No, I, I don't think it's the new normal. Great. You mentioned already that... Uh... SRG has been doing a lot of, uh, I think, pretty innovative things like the Zest wellness program that you rolled out, which includes a, a kind of, I think, innovative dining program with a lot of vegetarian options. I think that you've done a um, virtual reality research project with Rendever, working with Welltower and Caremore to provide some additional services and care coordination for residents at Medicare Advantage. So I think there's a lot of things that you've been doing to kind of try to maybe innovate the model. And I'm hearing from a lot of operators that there's a pressing need to do that given boomer expectations, for instance. And on the other hand, the operators are under so much pressure in this mosh pit of challenges that I imagine it's hard to do the kind of blocking and tackling that you need to do to handle those challenges while at the same time trying to invent new versions of senior living. Is that is that a real challenge? And can you talk about how you've been approaching that at SRG? 
Well, in terms of the new version of senior living, you know, the, the promise that I've, you know, again, been in the business 32 years um, and um, got it, got into business well before I was fashionable, if you will. And, you know, we're committed and uh, excited about the future, you know, listening carefully to the future. That's one of the sort of, it was one of our corporate uh, mission statements, if you will, because the market will, will tell us what they want. And, you know, you know, I'm hopeful and, and I believe that the future of our business, it's, it's broadening the continuum. We need to be all things to a lot of people, if you will. I mean, you know, I'm a sole believer in independent living, truly believe because it truly is part of the, uh, the quality of life continuum, if you will, getting people to preemptively make decisions to move in a communal setting with the promise of, you know, I've always said to the staff, we're trying to create engagement, experience, enjoyment, enrichment. Uh, those are sort of the independent promises you make because at the end of the day, we're recognizing that communal living in an engaged environment is, is a powerful catalyst for quality of life. And quality of life is truly defined differently by everybody, but at the end of the day, you know, we're going to let it be more how they, you know, everybody's going to be able to create their version of, you know, of what quality of life is, and they'd be able to have a sense of, uh, sense of self. It's a, it's a powerful medicine. Uh, but as you move through the continuum, the recognizing is people do age in place, and we need to be compelling for people that are more need-driven. You know, I do believe that the relationships of the health being part of the healthcare continuum in a meaningful way is critical. There's no question. Our relationships with with uh, healthcare providers, you know, healthcare systems, if you will, is 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 critical. And I, you know, we talk all the way on the on the more need driven side, is on the care more relationship, and relationships like that where you can address and act as a catalyst and give people access to, you know, physicians and other care in the convenience of, of, of their home, if you will, and be part of the healthcare continuum that recognizes the value of assisted living. You know, we have conversations now that we can show data to, to hospitals that you move into one of our communities through our SURE program, the likelihood of them being readmitted is very, very low. And we've been tracking it for years and we create protocols once somebody gets discharged from a hospital. So we become a meaningful part of the, you know, people leaving hospitals and, you know, creating an environment of wellness and preemptive care and, and, and whatnot keeps people, we believe, from going to the hospitals from moving in one of our environments and, you know, the cardio strength balance and restore program that we have through our, our possess program. It's meaningful. It's data driven. We're measuring outcomes. Uh, it's a very exciting sort of uh, element and trying to give people a compelling reason to select us preemptively to get into our, you know, and move into one of our communities is, is a promise of uh, quality of life. You know, leaving your home is a very traumatic experience. We get that. And, and has always been, I'm not ready yet, has been the, the, what we've heard for 30 years and, you know, until need drives decisions and we went through that when the assisted living surge. When I first got in the business, it was sort of independent. People didn't even know what we were. I would go in focus groups and I was always fascinated to hear when the moderator would come back in the room and tell you, they're not quite sure what this is. Is it a nursing home? Assisted living in the early days really didn't exist and we were sort of in a lot of ways, guys in the apartment business thought we would add food service and, you know, clean some apartments and you've got yourself, you know, a congregate housing environment, if you will. 
And people, you know, that was a little hard for people to get their mind, wrap their minds around. And there was a lot of failed projects where people weren't compelled to leave their home and move in a communal setting because they felt like they were giving up independence and they were giving up their sense of self. And it was in a prescriptive environment. That was their fear. Well, as we've evolved as an industry, I think we've done a much better job messaging and delivering. And then obviously when assisted living became sort of the alternative to the nursing home, I think we addressed the aging in place, need-driven, episodic sort of uh, solutions, if you will. And uh, so as we evolve as an industry, it's just extremely exciting because I do think that, I, as I said, I got into business early, earlier when it was more congregate housing and we were, it was the more hospitality model, if you will. And obviously as, as people are living longer before and uh, there are issues that are facing them that uh, we didn't have a lot of data on because not as many people lived as long. We didn't realize how many people would have dementia over the age of 85 because not many people lived to over the age of 85. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, all of this, this confluence of what aging really is and how to create a catalyst for live longer, better, as we say, you know, one of our, our campaigns with ASHA. I mean, that's that should be our objective as an industry. And so, you know, as, as we sort of uh, navigate the, the evolution of something and the, the, the invention of something, I think there's going to be a lot of experiments, but you got to be committed to the space and you got to be committed to the complexity of the management model because it is complex. It's, I've said this again in healthcare, hospitality, and real estate. And, and so I'm just extremely optimistic about, you know, what the future holds because there is a true market that we don't need to capture, but we, you know, we don't need to capture everybody that turns 85. You know, certainly we need to be, uh, as an industry, have a solution for a market that is growing exponentially over the next, probably not for, we're going to start to see a real surge in about six to seven years. So can you take me back? You mentioned a couple of times, uh, I think, helpfully contrasting the industry as it existed or, or barely existed when you got your start versus how much it's evolved now. But just in terms of how you actually got your start in senior living, can you tell that story? I think, am I right that you started out and were you with a home builder? I was a home builder. Yeah, I worked yeah. for, uh, uh, right out of college, worked for a home builder uh, out of Chicago. Ultimately was hired away and worked for a company that had, was working on a master plan community in, um, in Hitland, South Carolina. And that was my first exposure to sort of quasi active retiring, if you will. And I started to be intrigued about the hospitality attributes. I loved to, to develop and build and design environments. And so it gave me a little taste of that. And ultimately, uh, that same company that uh, sent me out to South Carolina at a young age, we had secured a piece of land in uh, Rancho Bernardo, California, here in California, in, uh, outside of San Diego. And uh, it was a entitled for senior housing. And I certainly recognized that it was something I'd never built before, but it was a, it had a nursing home and it had independent living. Really didn't have assisted living in the pure sense of the word then. And we built it, and then I re- realized that we, we outsourced the, the operating side to a, to a company. The forum group actually ran it, um, but I, I, I caught the bug. I said, this is just a fascinating potential opportunity business and started the company with my partner, Martin Fenton. And we uh, decided that uh, ultimately uh, this was the future. And, 
it actually bought into a, a building that was under construction and uh, a, a congregate building in Solana Beach, California, that the local developer wasn't quite sure what he was doing, and neither did I, to be honest with you. And I ultimately, you know, we invested in, helped finish the building, and I actually ran it. As an executive director, I said there was no better way for me to understand what this space was going to become and how to deliver the the service side of this business than actually jump in and 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 do it. And it and it was not just enlightening; it was invigorating, and ultimately was the the, the catalyst for me to to grow the company into both an operating and a developing company that uh, that we're at today. And um, you know, it's. Uh, been a fascinating journey, but again, you know, it's it's recognizing that I always marveled in the early days when everybody was getting into business and Gladys Law and Harleth was doing a lot of the market research that everybody was going to fill up in 18 months. And I think everybody completely underestimated the complexity of the operating side of the business. And, um, and so everybody had fill up periods that were extremely short and ambitious. And we took on some opportunities as a receiver and, uh, you know, we, some troubled deal, broken deals. So I got to triage a lot of projects that, so I really got a lot of repetitions, if you will, but always with a reverence for, you know, we're learning and listening and, um, you know, there's no secret sauce. It's, it's hard. It's a tough business that, uh, is both fascinating and it requires people that are, you know, I think passionate about the f- what the future holds and uh you know we we have a, a our corporate office here in Solana Beach has got well over 100 people here and uh it's you know we joked when I started the company a long time ago my partner and I were just two guys and a dog and uh we were kind of you know feeling our way there was no right or wrong answer which was great and uh you know early on in the you talk about the independent side of the business and you know people were just driving business based on who had good food you know that's a, a sad testament to you're making a life changing decision and, and I, I always tell the story my grandfather moved in a project in Chicago based on you know he wasn't ready yet but he moved in based on who had the reputation of the best food well we've evolved from there it's, it's far more than food and although we've always recognized that and you know had 12 hour dining and recognized that dining was in an environment where you got socialization and choice and you didn't want to go into assigned times and assigned seatings and have just two specials. We have 30 menu items and we recognize that's a meaningful part of their experience because it is experience that ultimately we need to deliver on. And so, you know, it's, it's been a great, it's been a great ride. Did you always uh, have the entrepreneurial bug or was it that, did it sort of that senior housing sort of stimulate that your desire to start a business? No, I, to be honest, I coming out of college, I loved the idea of being in the real estate business. I was always intrigued with with building and building things and developing and designing and creating environments. And so, I wouldn't say I had an entrepreneurial bug. I think I had a, you know, I was fueled by, you know, I was always an overachiever in everything I'd done, in the sense that I, you know, I. I Kind of, I was a very willful individual, and so I, 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 you know, played sports for a long time, and always felt like I was wasn't the most skilled, but I had more will. It ain't the skill, it's the will, kind of thing that kind of drove me. And I also was somebody that loved to create a vision, and and uh, I, I feel like uh, this gave me. I was always 
I've leaned on the creative side always, but you know, when it came to this business, I think it just tapped so many different possibilities for me. You know, got the sense to create environments that were, you know, anticipating the future, not just building for today, because we need to have great shelf life to create the delivery of, uh, you know, the collaborative environment. You know, leadership is an important part of this, you know, sort of delivering all these complex obligations we have to deliver, you know, like I said, healthcare and hospitality. So being, you know, creating an organization where, you know, I can feel as though not that I'm leading, but we're collaborating. That's always been my style. And uh, so to answer your question, I would say entrepreneurial, but I'm just, I'm, I'm a fairly passionate individual. And this gave me an opportunity to, uh, to channel my passion. Right. So I guess one more question on this is there's, uh, there's just been this huge influx of capital that we've seen into senior housing over the last decade or, or maybe longer. And, and yet I don't think, at least from where I'm sitting, we've seen all that many new operating companies launch. Um, and I'm a little bit surprised we haven't given the demographics and a lot of the same, um, fundamentals that have been driving the capital into the sector, even though there are all of these, you know, headwinds that we've been talking about. Are you surprised that there haven't been more new operators that have launched? Uh, yes and no. On the one hand, you know, it's been a, it's been a high, I've been very concerned, frankly, about all the capital on the sideline that wants to get into this space. And, um, ultimately in order to make the deal work, you need an operator, right? And, you know, again, I'm not, this is not to devalue anybody, any other company out there, but the react, the recognition of there's a lot of operators that are just a fee operators, if you will that need to be part of the capital underwrite, if you will. You know, I've got an operator and this is their track record and they don't necessarily have skin in the game. And, you know, they are, I don't want to say they're mercenaries, but, you know, they're a little understaffed, if you will, or they don't really have, for whatever reason, I you know, that's the area of concern where there has been, you know, a lot of fee operators that are out there that, uh, and again, I'm not. There's a lot of really great fee operators out there. So the fact that the you know all these deals come, you need an operator, right? That's ultimately going to have a huge amount of impact on whether or not you get your deal financed. You know whether you, that that's important. And then on the other side, I've been a little concerned that people have been starting some management companies and you know sort of add water and stir kind of thing. You know, not to suggest that there's a gestation period on competent management companies, whatnot, but there's been perhaps a, you know, a discounting of how complex it is to build a, a management company and have not just the systems, but the culture. It takes time to create those things. And lastly, you know, those companies, there's a lot of companies out there that I think scale has consumed them that, you know, they just, they, you can be too big and fail. You will fail. This business requires you know, understanding the nuances of the local market, it, it does require a tremendous amount of corporate support. And, uh, you know, I, I don't need to tell you, you, you talk about, you know, there's companies out there that are just enormous and they've lost touch. They've got silos. The complexity of the business sometimes is just too hard to be that big, so to speak. You've got to be able to address things on a local level that require, you know, frankly, a little less scale, if you will. You know, scale sort of makes it challenging, if you will, to, to, to serve all those communities and whatnot. And uh, and then, you know, the other thing that you're concerned about, ultimately, 
and I've been, you know, the company I worked for strictly was was a public company out of college, and I said I was in the home building business. You know, sometimes when the public markets are involved in, you know, that's a tough that's a tough business to be public in. We're a tough real estate's tough to be in public. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you you know you need quarterly earnings, and you need to be able to have good news on. You know, REITs can do it because certainly you know this you know they're they're basically not operating, if you will. That's different, but you know, certainly being a public company as a, as an operating company sometimes is challenging because of the very nature of real estate. Real estate's the long term, and you know, I I always have been concerned. Will always be concerned when you've got uh, short term capital. Not short term, but the the, the whole period is short. Mm-hmm. You know, unrealistic, and you know, you raise fun, you have funds, and you and you you go ahead and you dedicate it to a, a particular space in your housing. You know, the gestation period of a building that, from the time you secure the land to the time you fill it up, and then all of a sudden they got to monetize their investment because they're you know they have to they've obviously obligated to a certain return. That that's that's challenging, and that makes you know so you know sometimes you know that's. It fuels a lot of overbuilding, but it's the same, and it also can sometimes create some bad outcomes. So, mm-hmm. do you think that there is? You mentioned that there are a lot of kind of fee operators uh, out there to maybe fill that need, which might be an area of concern. But do you think? I mean, we just hear even from capital providers that they're just struggling to find good operating partners, and we've heard that the quality ones have kind of chosen their dance partners already, so the new capital is really floundering. Um, so it seems like there's an opportunity for entrepreneurial-minded, experienced, senior-living people who have sort of come up through the ranks. I, you know, I, I look at you and a lot of the other pioneers in the industry and think about all the talent that has been cultivated at your companies, and maybe some of those people are looking to now start their own companies. Do you think it's that it's a, a good environment to do that? Or do you have advice for people who are thinking about starting oh, an operator today? First of all, I, I want everybody to be successful. I, we mm-hmm. need the credibility, not just in, from the market perspective, um, but, you know, capital markets. We, I want everybody to be, you know, successful. I want us to be, as an industry, successful. You know, that's why I've, I've always beat the drum in terms of, you know, operating best practices. You know, that's the other end of this thing. Regulation that is one of the areas that we're trying as an industry to keep the regulation away. And that's why, you know, I, we, all of our communities are carved accredited. And I do think, you know, from, from a risk management standpoint, from delivering on a promise, there's that whole, that's a whole other conversation. But, you know, in terms of competency and growing, yeah, we absolutely want as an industry to, to, to find, People as they grow through our business to become, you know, you know, it, it, we promote from within constantly, and um, we need to commit to in an educational track, right? You know, I mean, Cornell, Washington State, you know, uh, USC is working on programs that, you know, making this a meaningful career choice is important for us, and compelling people to to take this as a you know, you talk about it being mission-driven because you're dealing with people's lives, but it really is mission-driven. I mean, you know, you, this 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 is this is a really rewarding business because you do impact people's lives, and that's what kind of pulled me to this industry. And it takes a certain type of individual that uh, recognizes that while you can create great environments that have all these fancy bells and whistles, and and and, but at the end of the day, the experience. And the delivering on a promise from a hospitality and a care standpoint and giving people engaged lives is really what the business is about. So that takes people that really understand 
you know, how how much commitment it takes to deliver on that promise. And so, yeah, I, I think that growing people from within the industry, you know, we recruit from outside the industry all the time. We need that to happen. And I, you know, unfortunately, I do think that is one of the problems right now where, we, you know, there's all these new projects coming on. And, yeah, the project, perhaps the data suggests that you can build this building in this particular location. There's a supply and demand formula that works in that particular location, but you got to be able to operate it because it's an operating business. The value creation is through the operations in this industry without question. And yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. And so, you know, we, we do need to cultivate and grow leaders in this business and uh, grow people that are committed to, you know, across the whole space. It is an incredible, you know, an executive director in this industry has got a huge amount of responsibility. You know, I mean, they are really charged with, you know, a multi-million dollar business and their leadership and their understanding of, you say the blocking and tackling, but you know, there's so much more than that to, to create your own little subculture in a community because you're living with your customer and it takes a certain type of individual that can, you know, coach people up and inspire people to deliver on the service side and then at the same time recognize that we have customer relations that are never ending, you know, and, uh, so, you know, we want to be, perceived as an alter you know we don't need any frontline stories about bad service or bad care we need to be a committed industry that recognizes the the responsibility we have to deliver on that promise so it's going to take you know people committing themselves to this business and we need to make this an attractive business for people to want to commit to great well i think that's that's a great note to end on is there anything we haven't talked about that you wanted to uh, get into no, um, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we are at a an interesting nexus point as an industry. I'm extremely bullish on the future. You know, we, we are, as I said, inventing something. So we need to be open to not suggesting that that anybody's taking it. There are no shortcuts. And uh, I think the recognition that we can be a meaningful part of aging in place and, you know, both on the engaged and hospitality side all the way through as people age in place, when people want to be, you know, we want to be a meaningful part of the healthcare continuum that, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of learning to do. There's no sort of, you know, you've got to give it a try and see how it goes. You know, there are certain things as we as a company uh, are, have failed in sort of, sort of initiatives, just didn't work. And, uh, but, you know, you got to get, test yourself back off and, and, and make a commitment that you're going to try and find a solution for that particular challenge going forward. And, uh, I, I just feel as though that uh, this is just a not just a, a fascinating business, but an extra, extremely exciting business to be in right now. Because when you can make a difference in somebody's life, and at the same time feel as though you are limitless in terms of how creative you can be, in terms of solutions that you provide, and giving people compelling reasons to move into one of your communal settings, uh, I think that's the, the, the future is bright. Great. Well, uh, this is a really interesting conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time. All right. Thanks, Tim. And that does it for this episode of Transform. Once again, thanks go to our podcast sponsor today, Point Click Care. 
If you're looking to streamline your workflows for service delivery and documentation, visit www.pointclickcare.com to see how Point Click Care's new mobile app, Companion, can provide you with simplified services and medication delivery in the palm of your hand. I'm Tim Mullaney. Thanks for listening.